and welcome back to the latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm a bird. A bird? Yes. What kind I'm of a bird? A songbird that might be picked up by this microphone. Yes. You might hear the jays outside because they are loud. I have no idea why they're being so loud. It's actually drowning out my ability to hear myself right now. Oh no. I so just, loud. You're tweeting, so I don't know if the audience will pick it up. But my guess? They're being amorous. Oh, that must be it. I think they're in love. Is it that time of year? I don't know. Don't birds have a time of year? I don't. I probably, know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an ornithologist. When birds stop being dinosaurs, I lost interest. Yeah, well, sorry. Okay, guys, hi. Hi. Hello, everyone. Once more. We uh, are back to recording. We took a break from recording because we took a break from releasing because the world is in turmoil and we thought maybe we'd be quiet for a little while. This is two weeks later. This will be not this week's episode, but next week's episode right. for your information. We're recording here at the beginning of June 2020. Mm. Uh, the year is only halfway over. I don't even, it's not even halfway over. Um, if I don't, I both don't know how it's so far in and also I don't know how it isn't I, over. I like the meme that has the gift. The unboxing for 2020 being the box from Hellraiser. Hellraiser, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, or hi, I'm Pandora. Welcome to my unboxing right. video. It's, yeah, it's gotten pretty wild, yeah. although much deserved recently. Yes, and hopefully things are changing for the better for some things. And I want to give props to New Zealand for shutting down COVID nineteen. <laughs> Remember when that was an issue? <laughs> it's I gonna remember be an how that was an issue, la- but that was so last week. I know it's it's wild. I don't understand. You're living in the past, Emily. Yes, yes. Well, so this week we are going to talk about our final evening mm-hmm. of nightmares and dreamscapes right. from 2006. Is that how, that's not how you said it? 2006. Yes, there we go. So this final evening aired August 2nd, 2006. Mm. A week that will be marked in infamy. And um, I think before we even get started, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, least favorite night of the whole thing? Um, least favorite night of my life for several Months, I think. Oh, it, it wasn't that bad. It, it was, was two hours. It, it wasn't was that bad. Two hours I will never get back. This, I thought the Mangler was going to be the worst thing that we saw adapted from Stephen King because it made utterly no sense. And really? less, you, you thought the Mangler was going to be worse than Maximum Overdrive, which was my thing that oh, I thought would true. be the worst well, thing. Well, maybe this is worse than Maximum Overdrive. But this was such a monumental waste of talent and yeah, money. that is true. There are very talented people involved with this. There, it, it seemed like they went, in particular this last night, just went wrong. It, y- yes, yeah. Let's let's just get into each of them. Uh, the first one is called Autopsy in Room 4. And this is a well-trod story. Mm-hmm. It stars Richard Thomas, who we would remember as Bill, adult Bill, from the miniseries It. He was way better than that. Yeah. Okay, so this is... I want to hear your explanation of this story because it's... Well, I want to start with Uh the short story, Autopsy in Room 4, was uh, first published in a limited edition collection in 1997 called Six Stories. Mm -hmm. What a deeply evocative title. Yes. (laughs) And appeared in the anthology Robert Bloch's Psychos later Mm -hmm. the same year. Uh, Then it was put into Everything's Eventual, when Everything's Eventual was published in 2002. That's, uh, I think, my favorite Stephen King title, by the way. Okay. And it was adapted to a short film in 2003, probably one of his dollar babies. 
Have we talked about the dollar baby? No, I don't think so. Oh, yes, yes. He sold the rights for a dollar. He sells the rights to non... Like to students and non-film film film people Mm -hmm. to make short story or short films based on his okay. work. There's been a few good ones. For a dollar, yes. Uh, and then it was part of this series. Uh, the plot of this is based on the short story Breakdown by Louis Pollock, mm-hmm. or- originally published in 1947, where the protagonist is par- paralyzed in an auto accident and must prove that he's alive. Uh, it also has um, roots and things like Johnny Get Your Gun, mm-hmm. where your protagonist, the the uh, narrator of your story, is unable to communicate with the outside world. Yeah. Although in that story, they, of course, know that he is alive and they are taking care of him. It's been made into a number of it's, movies, some with Hayden Christensen, one with Hayden Christensen. In 1955, it was made into an Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Oh, also which that. Which was an amazing piece of television. It became an urban legend after that. I remember reading this story originally as part of a Sunday school circular, where it was passed off as a true story. Oh, interesting. And, and then, if you don't get right with God, this is what could happen to you? Well, this is, uh, it was used <laughs> as part of a sermon. I'm not sure exactly. Well, sermon as it was published in the written sermon in the circular. I can't remember the details beyond I was terrified that this man would be operated on. And then I discovered it was an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So that was very disappointing. Um, but yeah, so having been pulled into this story a number of times in different yeah. ways. It's an interesting story. It's I an interesting setup, but it's exhausted by this point. It works much better as a uh-huh. story than it does as a piece of visual film, right. I will say, because you have to do it as a voiceover. And as such, you have a voiceover narrating stuff that there's no way they would mm-hmm. be saying. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And that is the trouble that I had with this one. I've, I've seen a very good version of it. Because um, it was even adapted. There were episodes of episodic television where this would happen. Yeah, right. And uh, there was one I saw when I was a kid on The Rifleman, which I'm not that old. It was just on repeats when I was a kid, where the hero is trapped in a sleeping bag with a live rattlesnake. Mm. So he's forced not to move a muscle because the snake will right. will bite him. So that was, it also reminded me of this particular episode since the, the snake is the focus. Yeah. Although what this extremely exotic snake is doing inside of a well that's course. yeah that's a that's right. just a story thing and I, we'll get to that so okay. the, the the fundamental thing with this whole story is howard cottrell who is an asshole mm-hmm. <laughs> i should say that's the other thing that i don't really understand you've made the person who i'm supposed to be rooting for a an irredeemable dickhead mm-hmm. and i'm just like well, then, I don't care about him as much as I would care about somebody who was, I don't know, not an irredeemable dickhead. Uh, is We are introduced to him as he is being unloaded into a morgue. Uh, he is dead. He is not dead because he is giving us a voiceover saying, Come on, body, move. Got to blink. These morons need to see that I'm alive. This, that. So we know that he is alive. Uh, we find out that he was bitten by a snake on a golf course, and this snake has made him paralyzed. Now, and that's the whole story. It's him trying to get people to realize that he is alive. And the way that they do that, of course, is uh, via his dick, because this couldn't get worse. <laughs> like, it couldn't get any worse. Uh, there is indicated he he's a vet he's mm-hmm. a veteran he had shrapnel wounds around his uh testicles and uh lower abdomen testicular area we find that he um has a girlfriend or a wife it's it's a wife it was a wife it was unclear to me uh that she that he cannot he feels that he cannot please her because he has trouble getting it up mm. And thus he feels bad about himself as a man. Now, 
pro tip, men out there or women, anybody who wants to love on a lady, you don't need a dick to do it. <laughs> First of all, dicks are sold wholesale. If you need one, you can go get one that way. Store-bought is fine. If you can't make your own, store-bought is fine. Second of all, that's the least important thing to 99.9% .9 of women. So everybody, it, it was more about him than about her always. It's always more about him. All right. So I'm over that. Except I'm not because we're coming back to it over and over again and I hate it so much. Um, and then he's just, you know, there are these... First of all, they put the morgue in this building on the sixth floor. Never. That's not how morgues work. Anybody who works in a morgue will tell you. They put them underground. It's cold. And then you don't have to wheel bodies through an entire building. That's right. not great for anybody in the building or the deceased. Like, what are we even doing here? So we have a female medical examiner and, a, I guess, a guest, a student. She's supposed to be very good at what she does. He is... Learning, we see no indication of that. Apparently, yeah. it's unclear. Most of it is just him freaking out that he is about to be cut open and calling these people idiots. And then we see the flashback of the golf outing that caused this. Uh, he's very cheap, apparently, despite being rich. So cool, cool combination. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and his quote-unquote best friend is there on the golf course, on the golf course mm -hmm. with him. He goes off into the brush to uh, play where it lays, a ball that he has, I believe, sliced into the trees. And while on the brush, he gets bitten. Note, the snake then goes inside of his golf bag. Why? No reason. Because later, we have his best friend, once again, who has said, I need to find his, my, his golf clubs. That is the most important thing to him. And now it is the most important thing to me. And we have another person who, who I've never seen anybody talk so slow in a whole, in a, in a motion right. picture of this orderly, uh, who is now carrying around his, um, uh, he believes his golf he's clubs. He's trying like, to steal the, the golf clubs, yes. right? Uh, and then he ends up getting bitten while in an elevator and one of the doctors there knows, oh, he's not dead. This is a particular type of snake. Mm -hmm. At which point the, I guess he's also an orderly. Probably the one with the, he, he's a, clearly a stoner who doesn't really care about his job. Mm -hmm. But also is the most uh, sort of adept person in the mortuary. Right. Because um, he was like, there are two perfect holes in this dude's sock, like a vampire bit him. Mm -hmm. Do we not want to say anything about that? And they're like, nah, it's probably nothing. It turns out. And then he races up and stops them from cutting him up. And at the same time as he's like, it's a snake bite, it's a snake bite, look for a snake bite. The female uh, coroner has... Uh, is holding this okay. deceased man's so junk. <laughs> everything about this episode <laughs> is offensive on some level. I'm just I'm trying not it's to say things, but it's like on, on every level of taste. I find yes, because whereas the original story and the dramatizations of it are of a man desperately trying to get it, somebody's attention while the saws are going, and he's thinking back on the points in his life where he could have made a change. Right, that is not in this This is one. not what's happening. Mm -mm. What we get is the failure of a man who's had success in life, and yes. because of the one uh, so apparently brave thing he did, which is being in the service, and he right. suffered from the chaplain injury, we get a flashback, for instance, of him and his lovely trophy wife, who's much younger than him. I don't know that she's a um, trophy wife. Who he's obviously loves him. care about him. Yes, right. that is true. But he's worried that he's defective because he has erectile dysfunction as a result of the shrapnel. And just presume she's going to leave him to go right. fuck. Right, and I, she has to. It's a very much like in the cuckold right, but sort of She's trying narrative. to reassure him that this is not the most important thing, that mm -hmm. she was aware of his issues before she got married right. to him. And so she comes across as the most genuine character yes, in the entire story. Yes, and she like runs in to find him. Right. Now, his ruminations uh, basically go... 
everyone's an idiot. This orderly is an idiot. No, he's now my best friend because he discovered the holes in the yeah. sock. But Dr. Arlen and Dr. Jennings... Both idiots. Um, ...who seem to be engaging in a really gross love affair in the same room with the corpse... Yeah, they're um, flirting over a dead body in this, a way that is What's really strange is that Katie Arlen is played by one of the great screen sirens of the 80s, Greta Scacchi, who in this film is so overbundled and made up to look so severe that you're going... I think she looked pretty, but I, I, I don't yeah, know who she is. She was the player... She should be bundled. She's, in, I, she's a corner. She right, should be fully dressed. What I mean is that is that they hired this actress basically to... I, I don't know, it would seem like an odd thing to do to hire her to play the part, but there's an ongoing flirtation with a person who she's training, so it's all kinds of inappropriate. Um, and the fact that all this swooning and romancing is done over a dead person's body, what they believe to be. And they're so infatuated with each other that they don't seem to pay any attention to the corpse at all. Meanwhile, um, Mr. Cottrell, laying on the slab, is being sexually aroused by being accidentally touched by Dr. Arlen. Not uh, accidentally touched. She just well, at one point his penis for a long time. About, and they even notice that, yes, this is an unusual reaction to have a dead person, but none of it gets taken seriously. Well, that's the first way that they're right. like, oh, he might not be dead, is he's got an erection. Really? Really? And then... <sighs> When Cottrell's wife comes in to help rescue, along with the orderly who has been trapped, the only suspenseful scene in this entire show is when the orderly is trapped in an elevator with the snake. The snake, yes. That's really well done. It's unfortunately too short. It does not redeem the entire hour and whatever that we've spent watching it's this It's not an hour, it's story. 40 minutes. I believed it was overtime, wasn't it? No, it's... It was an hour when it ran. It's 43 minutes when mm-hmm. we're watching I'm sorry. It. I assumed that it was longer. It simply, maybe it just felt longer. It felt longer. Well, because you could tell this whole story in 10 minutes. Right. And they just added a lot of stuff about his dick that I did not need. Well, the end of the story has him instantaneously rising up from the dead with a glowing light over him and embracing and making out with his wife. His wife. Well, he's still naked. on a slab. I'm just um, like, nobody wants to cover him. Right. Like, you now know he's alive. How about we give him his dignity? Also, that was the, the, the one of the things the that just... The dignity is far gone with this ...bothered thing. me. He was wearing his socks and shoes mm-hmm. way too long into this autopsy. Somebody even makes a point of saying, why is he still wearing his... Why is he still wearing socks and shoes? Right. Like, I believe that our medical examiners know what they're doing. But if this is a picture of the medical examiners, maybe I'm wrong. It's not. Obviously, it's not. But it just, I, it falls down on so many levels. I just, re- like, while we're watching it, I'm like, I hate this. Oh, no, no, yeah. I, I just, <laughs> like, Richard Thomas uh, is such a dick. Right. From the jump. He's just a condescending asshole. And I'm just like. Well, everyone's stupid. Everyone's. There yeah, to, uh, he's down. He's down visiting. He's out of the city. He's mm-hmm. in the po- quote unquote podunk town. I think they're supposed to be in a small town in Georgia. Um, they don't. It is true that on the um, golf course, he's declared dead by a retired doctor who doesn't take any vital signs. So, yeah. How about we don't do that? Uh, but it very much feels like we we have this flashback. Uh, to the 1800s, and we need bells over our, mm. over our, you know, tombs because we don't know how to check for vital signs in our dead people. Like, what right. what are we doing it, it here? It seems very yeah. I think the idea was outdated, but also the and like no part of it worked. No, no part of it worked. We're supposed to root for a person who's just a creep. Yeah. The only honest character is his wife, maybe his best friend. Everyone seems to be on the take for something. People are really bad at their jobs. Yeah. And so it stretches on to this interminable length, it feels like, watching the story that you know the inevitable conclusion. Plus they keep talking about how he's emitting a smell. Mm-hmm. Like he's dead, but he's not de- He's not decaying. So what are they talking about? Like I, I didn't even remember that detail. I remember the... Yeah, mostly it was just the... It felt weird. There was a necrophile run to this that I didn't care for. 
Yeah, I, I did not like this at all. So this one is listed as number seven, which would place it on the last night. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia says that this one actually aired with the road virus heads north, which means it would have been on the previous week. Uh-huh. Uh, but I so I don't know. I don't know if that's what well, would have made for a better night of television than what we got. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's right. So that's that one. I don't recommend it, y'all. You there. Watch that Awake movie with Hayden Christensen. That, yeah, as soon as this one started, too, I was just like, this voiceover makes no... I mean, I understand why they're doing it. This is the only way they could do it. Right. It, but what he is saying makes no sense. I understand that they're, they've made him the narrator, mm-hmm. but that's not what would happen in this situation. So it, felt, it just took me out of the situation. It didn't... At no point did Like, I don't saying... believe that a de- like, person that was in there... Mm-hmm. It, you know, had thought but couldn't move and was about to be autopsied would pull out, don't you know who I am? And no, he no. definitely right. does do that. And it's just like, um, the, that's not... I like the... I would like... I liked the... Okay, how can I put this? Mm-hmm. I like the narration element in the other versions of this story because there was much more of an element of panic. It wasn't anger, how stupid are you, but more, what's going to happen to me? How do I get across it? And you were on the side of the, the person. I was like, how do I get across some sort of signal that I'm alive? Yeah. What can I do? I yes, can't move. Yes, what can I do? There was a lot of that. Um, but this version of the story is just a person w- worried about like the most inconsequential things and just upset at the entire world for his situation. Yeah, when I'm about to die, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a penis. Okay, so I don't know how important that is to you. Um, uh, I understand it's relatively important to a relatively large number of people. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, choosing between your penis and your life, though, like when your life is legit on the line and not just well, in he the seemed to be very concerned about like, the indignity of things happening to him, yeah. and that really put me off the character because there's so much that he should be worrying about. If you were a person about to be confronted with dying, you'd be thinking about how you lived your life. You'd be thinking about whether or not there's an afterlife. You'd be considering those things. You wouldn't be thinking, God, I hate everyone I'd literally in this room. be focusing Everyone's on so my stupid. pinkies. Like, right. I'd be focusing on the, the smallest thing that I could do to bring some sort of attention. Mm-hmm. But you've already put more thought into it than whoever yes. produced this story. Yes. Yeah, no, I just, this was, yeah, this this was, was not enjoy, an enjoyable watch. mess. So the second one mm-hmm. is called, and this is the last one, y'all. You know they got a hell of a band, which is my least favorite title of any of these. I understand what what he's doing. Uh-huh. It's a very Stephen King title. Right. I don't like Stephen King titles very much. I love Stephen King, but his titles sometimes make me sad, and this is one of them. So this uh, was written. In 1992, mm-hmm. I was first published in the horror anthology Shock Rock, and then it was included in the titular Nightmares and Dreamscapes uh, anthology. And it's a road trip story. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of couples in cars fighting bickering, with each other, and this couples, is one of those. So we have Stephen Weber and Kim Delaney. Stephen Weber, we have just seen. Uh, and Kim Delaney, I think this is her first Stephen King appearance. As far as I know, yes. And probably last, but we don't know yet. We'll see. We've still got a lot of stuff left. Uh, and they keep coming out. Oh, my list keeps getting longer. It's wild. Uh, and these are two people who are driving on vacation. Mm-hmm. Apparently they're in Oregon. I didn't know that. They're mm-hmm. in a forested area. And at the beginning, I'm thinking, hey, I like this couple. Like, I like the way that this couple interacts. In the very first scene, they seem sort of silly with each other, Mm -hmm. a little bit at ease. They're flirty still. They seem to like each other. I'm like, hey, look at this good married couple. And then immediately, that changes. Stephen Weber will always play a Stephen Weber character, unfortunately. But here's the thing. Stephen Stephen Weber's character, I think, in Desperation, was like he was a good dude, Right. right? And in this, he's got a... He's got a real shining energy. Um, so he immediately... So on day two of their trip, they want to go to a place. And she wants to go to a nice place with a nice hotel 
where they can lock themselves uh, in and do all of the sex on a comfortable bed with a bathroom. And he's like, adventure! Uh, but he's like the worst when it comes to adventure because he also will not look at a map or ask anybody for help because apparently if he asks someone for directions... He turns to stone, don't you know this? He is, Dick will get taken away from him. Well, that is like how... like the first story. <laughs> you can't ask Just, for help. It's And he's an asshole about it. Because not only will he ask, not ask for help, mm-hmm. but he's getting more and more pissed off that they're lost and he's yelling at her. And she's like, well, if you would just fucking turn around. Well, not just to mention, I don't understand. See, this is where I differ from, I guess, a great many men. If a woman promises me, if, uh, my wife, this attractive woman who's yes. very smart and accomplished, says, let's go have sex. I'm like, okay. Okay. I don't find the Find need. the place where that can be a thing. Not <laughs> yes. like, let's... Hell, just pull the collar over. I'm not a not well, picky. No, she wants a, a bed hotel room. And okay. a but what I mean is this whole notion that, no, we have to do things my way is really, there's a lot of weird masculinity between yeah. these two episodes. Yes. Very and fragile and Like very, I said, that first opening scene, I was yeah. like, look at them. They're like... They go over a bump and she's putting lipstick on it, mm-hmm. like smears across her face, and she makes a joke about it and they laugh. And mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, I can, I only, I have to look perfect for my husband. Right. Like, they feel very lived in and married and, and right. nice and cute in that very first scene. And then in the second day, you know, as they're driving mm-hmm. where he thinks they're going and nobody really knows, she's, you know, He's like, oh, this road will open back up. That's not how roads work. (laughs) If it if it starts getting narrower, it's only going to get narrower into nothing. That's what happens. As a person who likes going down back roads, you eventually wind up on a dirt road and then just in a field. Just in a field. They don't open. It doesn't just then become a freeway again. I won't tell you how I know that turns into a field, but I know if that was the way that roads worked, Uh then it would all be free. Like that's it doesn't. Yeah, no, no, I know this one. Then you wind up in a country graveyard. Yes, and there's ticks in the tall grass. We don't do. Don't like ticks. So, but he will not be dissuaded from the road that he is on, even though she's like, "I just want to go somewhere comfortable and have sex with you." Is that too much to ask? Apparently, yes. (laughs) It's too much to ask for him. Uh, And then the road does metaphorical penis. And then the road does open up. And there is a town called Rock and Roll Heaven. And he's very excited. And they're going to drive into the town and look around. And she is deeply unnerved for no reason. It's unclear what her reason well, is. Well, possibly because her womanly wiles aren't enough to keep him from taking distractions on the road. That would be upsetting. But she's just like, I don't even want to get out of the car. I don't like it here and I don't want to be here. And it looks like a perfectly well, she nice does, town. She does make a good point about saying, yes, two hours will mean four hours, will mean five hours, and when will we get back on the road? When will we find our way out? We don't know that there's another road attached to the other end of the right. town. She does say all of that, but then she's like, I won't even get out because I don't like it here and it makes me scared. Like, she legitimately she, she says that. She and I'm might, just like, Well, I mean, as it turns out, she was right. That's fine, but why? I don't know I at this point. <laughs> uh, and then there's a bunch of dead rock stars there, and then they want them to stay forever and ever and ever. Because they're playing Play with us. Uh, the diner is owned by Janis Joplin. There's a Roy Orbison. There's uh, Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson, yeah. Now, mind you, once again, good casting. That guy really looks like a lot of the people really looked right. like the people that they were. The Elvis, playing. not so much, but the Jimi Hendrix, definitely not, not so much. They were like, "We got a black guy. That's Paul what you skinny get." Black guy, that's as far as we went. <laughs> um, and the other, there are other people in the town that are not rock and roll people. Mm-hmm. They are basically being used as slave labor and slave audiences, right? Uh, and also, they do a lot of drugs to like maintain their ability to stay there and not die, like kill themselves. I guess I don't know because uh, the the yeah. girl from the diner is like, do the drugs, take the drugs. You're gonna need lots of drugs. <laughs> like, uh, and then they end up getting back in their car, managing to kind of get out. But then, oh no, they got mushed by a bus that has a bunch of Driven by Jimi Hendrix. Driven by Jimi Hendrix. And then they come dra- dragged back. And now they are stuck 
in rock and roll heaven, which is populated, as I said, by rock and roll stars who are also sadists and, and full murders. Of maggots, apparently, because they yes, keep vomiting up maggots. Yes, and sometimes they're dead, and sometimes they are they are zombie-like. Well, they keep dying they are... and then coming back. Like at one point, they run over Ricky Martin. Yeah. Mm-mm. I mean, excuse me, uh, Ricky Nelson. <laughs> Ricky Martin's not uh, that. They run over Ricky Nelson, and he comes back. And it comes back in some sort of... Because they're like a zombie. Like, they right. can't be killed. They're already dead. And they're, But they... this is a place on the physical plane. Mm-hmm. This is a place that's not well thought out, is what I'm feeling. Yeah. And the mechanism by which all this happens does not seem to be it's well unclear. thought out either. And also, it seems to be doing a disservice because as... At least one character in the story does point out they were all supposedly supposed to be really nice people when they were alive. Why are they such jerks when they're dead? Yeah. And so the story ends with... It feels a little like, oh, if you had a drug overdose, then God has forsaken you to this hell on earth. Like, rude. (laughs) Yeah, it's very weird because I'm not sure what the point he's trying to make is. If a person who genuinely loves rock and roll like Stephen King does, yes, to then have the image of Janis Joplin vomiting maggots on you just seems like it's really unkind. Yeah. And why is, why is Roy Orbison such a creep? Yeah, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It's just a, 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 an assortment of deceased musical right. artists. And it seems like... And because they're here, they're all... They're so fragile, right? They're so needy that they will insist on people living through their concerts over and over and over again. And what makes the Stephen Weber character really unlikable is that in the end, he's cool with it. It's like, oh, this is going to be so great. They're going to have a great concert. Meanwhile, his wife and a waitress who they met at the cafe are looking at this as, oh my God, this is the rest of our lives now. We won't be able to leave. Right. But he's, oh, like, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to stay here and listen to these people. It won't be so bad, honey. You'll get a job. It, yeah, doing like doing hair or something. Right. Like she's got a career, right, and a life that she would like to. Connect. Which makes it both of these stories together make for yeah the dudes in these real toxic are, masculinity yes, evening in weird ways mm-hmm. too. Like, yeah, I don't. It it, mm-hmm. it just it, it was a bad night of TV, folks. A bad yeah, night it really TV. was, and I just yeah I don't get why it was so necessary. These uh, these entertainers just didn't deserve to be kind of done this way. It it felt really bad. And then, like, in the story, Mm -hmm. the the young lady that they see is 23 and has been that way for 20, or for seven years. Right. So the idea, too, is rock and roll may never, or will never die, and the fear is that is what we are afraid of. Right. It will never die. And I, so, yeah, I don't know. I didn't appreciate either of these. They all seem to be kind of, well... They they just seem to be underdeveloped as ideas, and they didn't follow any clear internal logic where I could go, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, there's no why. There's no mm-hmm. reason for for the story right. to be a horror story. Because on the one hand, it would be really fun to go into a town where they all still exist. And right, like, yeah. So why are they such monsters then? Yeah. And why do you have to find kind of get there in a bad... Like, right. I feel like if they had been on the same page and not fighting they yeah. wouldn't have found themselves there like it was a, right. it's a weird punishment situation um, well it, in light of the earlier scene it makes it seem as if that was a story um, a development necessary to the story that doesn't even follow the characters that we've been set up with right right for them yeah. to suddenly become you know yeah because uh, the difference in Stephen Weber's character right. from that opening scene to the whole rest of it right is stark where I'm like because I legitimately had the thought in that first scene of Oh hey, I like this couple. Right. Like this seems like a good dude. They seem to get along well. They're they're treating each other like adults and mm-hmm. equals. Like I had that thought because we've seen so many right. you know married couples in cars where it did not turn out so well in the Stephen King universe. Yeah. And then it was just you know reversed basically. Everything all the goodwill that I had for them in that opening scene disappears like in a minute right with well, him being snarky and not just that but the, the her like, as kind I said, of whining to like kind of whining nagging they have him. at the end yeah is so it uneven seems disproportional right. <laughs> yeah so that's that one that's the end 
I mean, that comes to the end of Nightmares and Dreams. So what were your top two? So let me three? look at the list again. Okay. Go back to the list. All right. Number one. Mm-hmm. Episode four, The End of the Whole Mess. Ron Livingston, Henry Thomas. Number two, Battleground. Those are a tight one and two. Mm-hmm. Those I those are probably reversible too. Right. Uh, with William Hurt. Number three. Three is probably Omni's last case, because I think Macy gives good performances, but that story is lacking. Number four is the fifth quarter, Jeremy Sisto on going on a treasure hunt. Mm. Then mm-hmm. mm, the road virus heads north, Tom Berger and his painting. Crouch End, barely a story. Claire Forlani gets out. Her husband's turned into a creepy cat. You know they got a hell of a band. And finally, Autopsy Room 4. I think that is my list. I thought we were going to do like the top couple. Because, frankly. Oh, you don't have to. You, don't, you can just say these are the ones that I like. That were worth yeah. watching, frankly. And if I'm going backwards, it would be the fifth quarter, followed very closely by um, the end of the whole mess. Okay. And but my favorite here is Battleground. Battleground. They opened strong and never, never, never recovered it. from it. Because yeah. when you look at the rest of these episodes, especially uh, Autopsy in Room Four, <sighs> what passed for special effects there were so juvenile. It's really and they have this they spectacular opening, you know, with these amazing right, visual effects, had, and, and they had Henson on right. the whole project. So why didn't they? It just went really... It's like, did that cost them all their money? Did they have a limited budget? I don't know. And so there were episodes that I felt like Crouch End could have been better. I like Claire Forlani. She did a really good job talking about couples that looked like they were well-matched. Those two actors really portrayed a young couple that have just been newlyweds that are in love and they can't keep their hands off each other. And she was a little bit more understandable why she was freaking out because she kept having these visions. And then it just becomes clearly about 20 minutes of her running around from house to house yeah. that goes absolutely nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Just like we've got to hit 43 minutes. Right. So. And they were dragging it out to reach this length. And so... Yeah, I think this length hurt them. I think they right. could have done half an hour. I think they could have done half an hour like Rod Serling did. I think... I think Battleground is a good mm-hmm. is good at forty three minutes, but right. you could have done that in in a half an hour. Yeah. The problem is, I think you need thirty minutes, and that's you can't get yeah. to thirty minutes in the TV schedule. So maybe here's what you do: thirty minutes. Does that work? If you do thirty minutes and thirty minutes, but you pad it out to forty five, and mm-hmm. you make it an hour and a half thing. That could have worked. I think you could have even just had an hour-long opening episode and the rest of them were 30 minutes. You could have been yeah. more creative. This was cable. You because can't I get away with Because I also think that End of the Whole Mess needed to be as long as End of the was. Whole Mess, and I also feel that, as we discussed before, uh, the fifth quarter either needed less time or more time. Or more time. Yeah, you one of the less one time, of the and you could cut out some of these subplots, uh-huh. or more time and develop the characters more. Yeah. But the, uh, as it was, it was somewhere in the middle, and it just didn't get anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that being said, I feel that was some of the best acting in the entire series. Okay. Is that these people had these emotional traumas. They were, they, and there was a, how can I put it? There were actual stakes yeah. in the situation. Yeah. Ooh, pretty girl lost at the end of the, of the driveway in a strange neighborhood. The stakes are, does she get out with her husband? And she does, but he's a cat. Wah, wah. Like, I don't even know how to address yeah, I don't, that. Yeah, that's... Like, what is that about? The whole situation. <laughs> you know? Not, it is the whole situation. I don't even... Yeah, I didn't get what that was for. The cat was obviously just really bad CGI. There's a cat with a hole in its face. The weird, yeah. And the CGI was so overdone. There's a cat who looks like he's been shot with a shotgun at close range. And like we and said... And people just adapt him like he's an ordinary cat. It may not have looked that bad. Uh-huh. If we weren't watching it on um, a high definition television from YouTube, right. blown up like it just yeah. I, but uh, here's my, expo- my my feeling about that. We also saw Battleground, and it still came across as really impressive. Yeah, but so, I think that those may have been mm-hmm. easier effects to get across, though, well, and, so, a, 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 and would stand up to being blown up. So. Mm, Autopsy in Room 4, yeah. that one. 
you have a cartoon snake, it. more or less. Did you even see the snake? I guess. Yeah, you did. You see the snake, and you saw the snake. The worst part of it is you saw the snake in the elevator at a time that was supposed to be the most suspenseful point in the story, and it is obviously CGI. Now, here's here's what and I have the issue with. In Crouch End, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I want to be uh, about a gospel band. That would be good. It would be Andre Crouch. But no, no, it's a Lovecraft story. At Crouch End, you have, you know, these sort of fake-ass kind of special effects, and you're, th- those monsters don't exist. No. For Autopsy in Room 4, there is such a thing as a snake. Yes. And in movies, when I was a kid, and they needed a snake, they actually put a live snake into in the set. <laughs> in the book, it is a Peruvian boom slang. Uh-huh. Now... I don't think they mention the name of the snake. Here, they do they? don't. Okay. In the story, it is a Peruvian boom slang. Boom slang is stolen from Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. It's one of the. It's a snake in a Miss Mar Miss Marple story. Right, and it's a real snake. But Stephen King says he's pretty sure there's no Peruvian version of it. Like he just stole. I assumed it, it was and... African. I'm going to have to find out now. I spent a lot of my childhood. Here we are, Lemuel's stories of his childhood. There's so many. Um, with my dad watching National Geographic specials on Wednesday nights. And yes, it is from Africa. It's exactly. The word is Afrikaans. And I remember seeing boom slangs on, because they they're very weird and very green. They're so green that I can see them. It means tree snake in, right. in Afrikaans. And so I remember seeing them on, on specials, on television specials. So I remember that name. It does exist. What it's doing on a golf course is one of the great mysteries. But yeah, I, I mean, you didn't have to use an actual boom slang. You could have used any snake. You could have used a rattlesnake. They're all over the country, mostly where we are. There's lots of rattlesnakes where we are. But um, but yeah, the, the CGI snake, I, for the life of me, don't understand why they went in that direction. It seemed to kill whatever convincing element there was to a story that was unconvincing in the first place. Yeah. No. I say boo to that. Yes. So, uh, it was, I think, I'm overall, glad we watched them. Right. I'm glad I watched three of them. I think overall, though, it was a failure. I yes. think that there was a lot of time and a lot of money spent for... I'm unsurprised that they didn't do more. Well... I'll say that. And, and to, to, to be honest, I feel like they had a mediocre choice in stories. I don't yeah, know. and I don't know. Right. I kind of want to go to Nightmares and Doomscapes and figure out what they could have done instead. Right. Or and they, and really, it isn't. I mean, they called it Nightmares and Doomscapes from the stories of Stephen King. He's mm-hmm. written hundreds of short stories. <sighs> so could, Why were, are these the eight? Right. There was just there were better choices. There were better choices to make, and it wasn't going to wind up looking so silly, but I think that there was a lot of wasted talent and a lot of wasted time, and that's what I feel worst about. The worst about. Bummer. Okay. So, we're done with this. Mm -hmm. This has been four weeks of our lives. Right. And now we are moving on to another movie uh, released in theaters. Okay. A real film. Okay. Starring one John Cusack, who John I know Cusack. that you like. Oh, yes. 1408. Oh, and Samuel Jackson. And Samuel Jackson, yes. Right. The voice motherfucking of Motherfucking <laughs> monsters at my motherfucking hotel. That's right. Uh, so that is what we are watching for next week. Right. 1408. Okay, this will be good. Uh, which I haven't seen It'll be a palette cleanser. in a long time. Uh-huh. I know I've seen it, but I don't think I've watched it in... A decade. Uh-huh. So, that'll be good. Should John Cusack, is, does he do any kickboxing? Unlikely. That would be fun. Uh, it's always a possibility, though. It's just funny to me <laughs> he that has it's like... It in his, in his, we uh, have action stars. Special skills list. Right. We have lots of action stars who have no idea what they're doing through a fight scene. And the guy who's been training in kickboxing for 20 years rarely ever gets to do it on screen. <laughs> That's just kind of the way that Hollywood goes. You get typecast and you stay that way. So do you have anything you'd like to recommend for um, for our listeners? Something in the last week that 
excited, moved you, thrilled you. Thrill me. Thrill me. What was that? That was Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps. Which is how I want to answer the phone from now on. Thrill me. Good grief. He was was a piece of work. I am torn. I'm trying to think of what I have been watching a lot of things. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know the best thing. Do you have something you want to? Um, it's interesting. I don't have anything to recommend that's current. That's fine. Not that I haven't been recommending. We've been watching a mini series from 2006, so current is not what we. We're the latecomer show. Right. <laughs> so we came late to the party, and I've already recommended some things. All right, I will recommend something that is currently on Amazon for people. Amazon. There's a lot of older movies there that I'm catching up on, and there's a film from 1978 called The Shout, and it's based on a short story by Robert Graves, who wrote I, Claudius. Say it again, I'm sorry? The Shout. The Shout, gotcha. And it's based on a... um, Robert Graves story. Robert Graves story, and it's directed by a great Polish director, Jerzy Skolimowski. Who did it? And it is really worth watching. It's a very kind of end of the 70s. I've always felt there was a period of time when horror films could move in the direction of being very explicit and graphic, which they did. Or like Rosemary's Baby, they could have moved in the direction of being more subtle. And this is subtle and creepy at the same time. And it's about a man who is um, takes over a household on the threat that he can shout the people inside to death. Because he learned this when he was living... what the people inside? Shout, as in the name of the film. I don't even understand what that means. Well, that means he has a killing shout that he learned from his time amongst the Aborigine. Like a one-inch punch? Well, actually, the killing shout is in all cultures of the world, including the Japanese, which is the Kiai. But the idea that you can kill a person with a shout, and he demonstrates this as a really amazing cast of people... John Hurt and um, Susanna York and I, uh, God, I just forgot the name of the Alan Bates. There we are. It's uh, Tim Curry, who's just a kid in this film. Oh wow! So it's a really, really creepy, good film. The framework is really strange because it starts as a story being told. There is a asylum, and there's a cricket game between the inmates and the locals. And it's rained out, so they're sitting, these two men are sitting inside of a scoring booth on this cricket field, and one of them says, do you want to hear a story? And then you get this really bizarre story told by one of the inmates, so it gets stranger and stranger as it goes along. Um, And it's just a very good, creepy, weird film where at the end of it, you're not sure whether he was telling the truth or whether he was lying. And I won't spoil it anymore, but it's a really fun, creepy, creepy, rainy day story. Cool. Okay, I think I came up with that. Okay, go ahead. So, in an effort to hide from the world a little bit, mm-hmm. I caught up on The Good Fight on okay. CBS All Access, because uh, we have been watching Star Trek Discovery, which is also very good. I don't know why we were sleeping on it for so long, but we were, and now we're watching that. And in watching that, I was like, oh, right, this other show that I like. That's the problem with apps that you pay for. Right like streaming apps that you pay for, uh, if you don't go into them, you just don't watch anything on them and you keep giving them $7.99 a month or whatever. So I caught up on The Good Fight. It is, if you're conservative, not for you probably, you won't be mad about it, but it is sort of a liberal satirical fantasy right now and Mm -hmm. I am enjoying it very much. Okay. Uh, so I caught up, I think I watched six episodes or something this weekend. There's a, it's a short season. They had to skip some weeks um, where they, and they talk about it because they're doing all of their post-production separated because right. of COVID issues. And like even at the beginning in the, in the uh, opening credits, mm-hmm. like there are some, it, the credits of the show are a bunch of things exploding. Or being shot. Mm-hmm. There are ones where it's like a desk would explode here. 
Like, it says it in, oh, okay. in like, they just did not, they couldn't get it done. Right. And they, they had everything else, so they released it this way. Which I think is an interesting sort of time capsule. And I hope that they don't go back and change it, actually. Yeah. I hope that they leave it so that we can go, oh, right. <laughs> you know, this happened. <laughs> this happened. So uh, I, that was a nice little bit of a getaway from my brain. No. Recently. If it's possible, I'd like to take a couple of minutes to address what we're getting away from. Oh, yeah, you can address, yes, of course. Uh, and that, that's what I want to do is, uh, because we didn't make a, a podcast statement. Yes, no, we have not um, made a statement. We have had in the last week, one of the reasons why we weren't recording and things, there was a lot of turmoil in our hometown. There were protests. Um, there was also some violent activity that was led by, I don't know who those people were, whether, I don't believe there were the protesters. There's just as much evidence there were spoilers. Yes. They were there to cause trouble. And not just our hometown. The right. I know, but I'm speaking specifically for here. Um, over the, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, which was a murder. Yes. Uh, and I think that it, I'm safe in saying that we both support the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. And that what happened was horrifying that it needs to end and behavior like that needs to end. Yes, it was a modern-day lynching. Right. And it came on the heels of two others. Yes. Equally egregious. And, and, so, and not just two, actually. Two that we know about and right. more and more are coming out that but are two just that, deaths that, that are in the recent right. weeks. That and just, that are just cold-blooded murder. There's mm -hmm. no two ways about that. We're going to find out about more when the protests are effectively over. But it's gone into how many days now? Twelve? I think we're on 12, yeah. and now the protests are gaining size, and mm -hmm. um, I, I want to say chilling out. They are getting larger, uh -huh. and uh, whether it is due to the lack of escalation on the parts of the police, uh, or just uh, looters getting bored, uh, they are now protests, peaceful protests, well, large peaceful protests all over the I country. think any lack of ex escalation on the part of the police has to do more with the fact that they're getting caught left and right and they're being arrested. For or they're just stopping, like they're not paying the overtime to have them out right. in their riot gear. When you go to a place in riot gear, it is an instigation. Right. But there, so there's if also you don't do that, been very heinous behavior on the behalf of the police. Oh yes, too, absolutely. During and I'm sure that we're going to find out about more crimes that were committed by the police department during this period of time. Yes, during the protests themselves. So um, I think the most encouraging thing I saw was last week at the end of the week, when outside of our, our mutual workplace, yes, there was. A protest that lined both sides of the street for about three blocks, maybe a little bit more, yeah. of mostly white protesters holding up signs. Not just white, mm. well off well white. Well because it's an affluent this neighborhood. This is an affluent neighborhood. And that, it's matter, that matters a great deal for this particular cause. It does. So I'd like to congratulate those people and also show some sort of solidarity with the people who are out there protesting. Please stay of, safe. If yes. you're out protesting, please wear a mask and... Uh, yeah. A lot of people were injured. A Because COVID-19 has not gone right. away. It hasn't gone away. It's going to possibly... There will be spikes in right. a couple of weeks. It'll make there the situation a little bit worse. But I just say on the behalf of us, I think it's safe to say that we support the changes that need to be made in order for everyone to be equally safe. Yes. I am on the defund the police train. Mm -hmm. uh, as a white woman, that was... Uh, a complicated thing to come to. All I had to do, though, was a modicum of research. It didn't take very long for mm -hmm. me to switch my mind because I still am sort of in that brainwashed thing of, but who will you call when you need help? Right. Like, so please, if the phrase defund the police scares you and you just think that that means there just won't be any support system mm -hmm. for police, uh, do a modicum of research. <laughs> <laughs> like and and I don't I don't say that to be rude. I'm posting mm -hmm. a lot of stuff on my personal page about defunding the police, what it actually means, what it could look like in a realistic setting, right. uh, and why it's deeply important. The police, the police started as a way to crack down on 
uh, runaway slaves in this country, and we've just given them bigger guns and more responsibility without with more training or tra- yeah, yeah. anything that should go along with those two things. And and when in this country, when we can, when we feel like homelessness has become too big of a problem to deal with, right. We just make it a crime and give it to the police. When drug abuse has become too big of a problem to deal with, we make it a crime and give it to the police. Uh, the domestic nobody who is in a domestic violence situation should call the police because the police perpetrate domestic violence at a way higher rate than any other population. You're getting people to come into your home who are doing what is being done to you mm-hmm. without any there's no mitigation. Right. So you're not calling an ally when yeah. you're like it there are many things that the police do that they should not be doing. We could give the money that is being used on military grade weapons and armor to our police to organizations who can start to solve these communal exactly. community issues. And and it's about making everybody in the community safe. And you're approaching it as a white woman. I'm approaching it as a 51-year-old mm-hmm. person of color yep. who has faced, as you well know, yes. almost continuous police harassment. Almost every interaction I have with them winds up with me being accused of something mm-hmm. or being... Rousted. Rousted or interrogated, yeah. uh, sometimes physically, sometimes, you know... Uh, I think the example that I give most often is having a gun drawn on me for asking why I wasn't allowed to sit at a public fountain to sort some papers that I was uh, doing. And the next couple of days on Facebook, I'm taking pictures of everyone sitting there. But for some reason, it made someone uncomfortable that I was sitting there. And when when this person asked me, this officer asked me to move, I said, why can't I sit here? There's no sign posted. And immediately she called for backup. An officer showed up with her gun drawn. And so that level of kind of harassment makes you very skeptical of the police and what their motives are. The police are a hammer, and right. so everything becomes a nail. Right. So and very few things are a nail. I'm not speaking from a place like uh, I know that uh, at times when I have these interactions on Facebook, I get tagged as social justice warrior. <laughs> and like, well. Uh, also. I don't understand why that is a slur. A I still thing, don't but, understand why that is a slur. Oh, but. A warrior Looking for social like, justice sounds awesome. What? <laughs> I just, I don't understand exactly what the issue is when I can say, this is my personal experience. This is, I've actually encountered police hostility. And I do it almost every time I interact with the police, no matter mm-hmm. how minor the interaction is. Right, and because every jury mm-hmm. start question starts with, do you have a problem with the police? Right. And yes. that weeds out. People like me from having a people voice. People like and you people from having a voice on a jury who would be an right. actual peer to the person uh, on trial. I recently like, had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine, and we were talking about why I never get on a jury. And and this and was, you got called for jury duty all the time. Yeah. I've still in the city of Oakland. I have lived as for I've lived in the city of Oakland for over a decade. Mm-hmm. I have never gotten a jury summons. Right. You get them almost every year. So I get them, and in one particular case that I was up for, they, you know, they, before they got to me, they were asking people if they had an issue with the police department. And one woman, a white woman who's maybe in her early 40s, said, yes, she does not trust the police. And the backup question was, well, did you, have your a, problem? did you have a criminal record, as always? Right. And she said, no, I was sexually assaulted by a former boyfriend. I reported to an officer who then was really reluctant to take down the report, claiming this was your boyfriend. Are you sure this wasn't a misunderstanding? And the same officer volunteered to bring the ex-boyfriend to her house for positive identification, also to see if he can, oh, and he did, and then tried to see if he could get them to patch things up. Oh, God. As a counselor. And the so police are not equipped to do these things, the and they shouldn't be doing these things. to do these things either. And so he kept seeing it as, well, maybe this is a way that you can resolve your issues and Almost as if he was trying to get the other guy off the hook. Of course he was. And immediately, of course, that woman didn't make it. <laughs> you know, I didn't make it. Um, but there's, 
there's too much authority given to people with too little training and too small a skill set. Yes, and the the what we want from them is too much. We ask them to do too much. Right. If we could focus it on, you know, sexual assault and rape, murder, like, like real ass crime. Right. And have specially trained people doing that work and the forensics labs doing that work like and could pay to get all those rape kits actually processed like what a concept well it seems to be almost as if there's a a reluctance to do any kind of paperwork or follow-up so it just winds up piled away somewhere well it's because there's too much there's right but that's not going to solve the situation no i understand i understand that but that's the thing like i do not believe that every police officer is a bad person Mm mm-hmm I do believe that the entire police force is a bad force and thus warps people to a bad place within them. Okay. But we're asking them to do too much and giving them more money has not helped. If it's half of your city's budget is your police and you don't and 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 combined homelessness mm-hmm. and education get less than that. We're doing something wrong. Well, the police are there for when something goes wrong. And so if you're not, it's very much like the same issue with, um, I'll make the relation to abortion. It's like if you're not giving people sex education, the natural result is going to be that somebody's Mm -hmm. going to have an unwanted pregnancy. Similarly, if you're not investing in after-school programs, if you're not working to give people jobs. Fuck even. Fuck after-school programs. Although, yes, that too. Right. Just smaller classroom sizes well, and yeah, better there's a lot teachers. Of th- but I mean, like, <laughs> I'm describing like the point of a, a yes. iceberg. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's kids being idle. There's jobs that they could be working. There's, you know, occupational training that could happen. There's so many other things that will keep people from being in a position to where they don't have a, they feel that they don't where have a Where they're desperate. And right. yes, because that is the other thing. Desperation breeds petty crime. Right. Uh, and property crime. If you... Make your population less desperate. Right. They won't want to. So yeah, they, it's like, like we're putting all the money gets put into when people make a mistake, when you can actually prevent that from happening. So yes, anyhow. and and people of color co- committing more crimes, it, which actually is statistically untrue. It's it's not statistically untrue because we police people of color right. much more But heavily. I mean, it's statistically untrue in that in comparison to the massive amount of population that is non-people of color, right? The the notion that more people commit crimes, people of color don't commit more crimes, they're just arrested for them, whether or not that they're That is what is, yeah, well, right. they, 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 they probably commit exactly mm-hmm. the same number of crimes, right. but white people get off with a smack on the wrist. And black people go well, to jail forever. The, and I, his name, unfortunately, escapes me. The, the, the rapist? No, the African-American kid who is committed suicide in jail uh, after Browder. being uh, raped twice yeah. because he was accused of stealing a book bag that he didn't stealing steal. A, yeah, and then he spent two years in solitary right. confinement. That... Yes, so... Anyhow, it's so, terrible. yes. Okay, yes, so, yes, so, I, yes, so that is where we are at. Um, I'm posting a lot, I'm reading a lot, I'm trying to listen more. Um, we wanted to, we took uh, a couple of weeks off, uh, and, you know, push some black voice podcasts because that's the other thing. Podcasts are largely white. Mm -hmm. We we have a person of color on our podcast, but I am not that. It's me. It's you. Yes. Um, but right now black voices were actually even more important. No offense. (laughs) I'm taken. Uh, so we were trying to do that and we will continue to try and do that. So. That's where we stand. We stand with black lives. Also, if we're going to abolish the police, let's freaking take ICE out because what the fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and if, like I said, if that, if defunding the police, if that's an idea that scares you, there are tons of resources. And if you don't know what those resources are, hit up my Facebook page because I'm reposting a lot of them. I got into a not an, an argument with a black woman who is also a police officer today because mm-hmm. she posted a meme that was like, you know, you think it, you think it's bad now. This is what will happen if you defund the police. Hi, 911. Uh, oh, someone's breaking into my house. Oh, well, we'll send thoughts and prayers. 
that's not what defunding well, actually, is. Actually, in my experience, thoughts and prayers that's, have been much more helpful than the well, police ever had in my situation. But I, and I've said that's mm -hmm. not what defunding is. I don't even like that term because mm -hmm. this is right. easily, you, you can put, it breeds these memes and whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I know about these problems infinite, intimately. And I'm like, then why are you posting bullshit memes? Right. Post your position. Don't post straw man arguments. Right. Like, let's have a debate about the actual issues and not about what people fear is going to happen. So that was frustrating to me. So let's all just be intelligent and learn a few things. Shall we? It's pretty good. It's pretty fun. I'm going to go watch 13th. I meant to do it this weekend and I didn't. So, so next week, we're going to watch 1408. We're going to talk about it. It's got John Cusack in it. He's a cutie patootie. I like John Cusack. I don't think he's canceled, right? In this age of white men doing some bullshit at any moment, he could be canceled. So hopefully he is not. Uh, anything else from you? Nope. Okay. I'm pretty good. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, or questions about defunding the police or Stephen King or why we took four weeks to talk about Nightmares and Dreamscapes when we should have probably just done it all at once, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or tweet at us at latecomerspod. Or you can find us on Facebook. That's probably your best bet. Go ahead and type latecomers up in that search bar. In the meantime, I remind you to take your medicine and we remind you better, better late, late than, than never. never.